Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by Leverson Wood, the British explorer, photographer, best-selling author and TV presenter. You probably know him from his incredible walking expeditions, which he's documented on TV. He's walked the length of the River Nile through Central America from Mexico to Colombia and the length of the Himalayas from Bhutan all the way to Afghanistan. We talk about the time he hitchhiked from Nottingham to India and his adventures along the way, what it was like driving an ambulance from London to Malawi in Southern Africa through 27 countries and about his most recent and maybe most ambitious expedition yet, which was a 5,000-mile circumnavigation of the Arabian Peninsula from Iran to Lebanon. Ooh, we've got a lot of miles to cover. So let's hear from Leveson Wood. Leveson Wood, thank you so much for being here. When I was looking through your travel trajectory, I was thinking to myself wow, his travel diaries are going to be astonishing. (laughs) So I can't wait to kick off. The first chapter of your travel diaries is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be? I think it was Greece when I was about four years old. And uh, yeah, I I just remember being on a beach in the sun, being fed cherries by my mother. That sounds (laughs) It was wonderful. It It was blissful. And perhaps it was... Something, it was a very happy memory and a very happy childhood. And I remember just, um, yeah, just enjoying the sunshine. And, and I think that that was something that uh, has stuck with me is, is being in a foreign place, eating nice food, enjoying a bit of sunshine. And it's the simple things in life. And, and I think that it, travel doesn't have to be complicated. It can simply be a form of escapism. And uh, we often, and I, I'm the, the sort of guiltiest person of doing this is to try and sometimes overcomplicate travel and always find reasons to go to places mm-hmm. and and there's nothing wrong with just going somewhere for a bit of sun <laughs> right so not all of your trips are um big expeditions sometimes you might just what fancy an all-inclusive on the beach well maybe not an all-inclusive but people do tend to pigeonhole me as that guy that walks everywhere and mm-hmm. that's actually quite a, a recent thing for me it's I say recent it's it's something I've been doing for the last decade but no I'd always traveled I'd always always enjoyed travel and ever since I was a kid I was determined to see as as much of the world as possible uh-huh. and I was just fascinated by other cultures other geographies other landscapes and it was that sense of otherness um, that I think appealed and growing up you know the suburbia of Stoke-on-Trent in the 1980s was probably good enough reason to travel as any and, uh, and and perhaps that's where my own inspiration came from. And was it that kind of initial wanderlust that led you into the army as your first port of call? I think it was that also tempered with with some realities of what I'd heard from my father who was in the what was then the TA so he was a part-time soldier in, right. in the 70s and 80s and my grandfather who who fought in in the second world war in Burma. Wow. And you know, sort of sitting there as a 10-year-old listening to his stories of, of, of fighting in the jungle, jungles of the Far East um, was actually, you know, quite remarkable because he was a, a young man who at the age of 18 had barely left his hometown. You know, he was working in factories, as a, uh, you know, making pots and pots and uh, bits of ceramics in, in the potteries. And um, 
for him to go off as an 18-year-old and, and be in, in India, in Calcutta, in, in Kohima, these were all very exotic mm. names. And, 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 and I was fascinated by the concept of going on a journey, on a quest almost. And my father, who, who was a teacher, he always encouraged me to read. And, and I, I remember reading stories, classics, actually. He, always, he made me read a lot of the Greek classics. Wow. Um, and so I remember reading the Odyssey as a young, young man, probably not the original, but uh, certainly the a sort of uh, the children's book version. And, uh, and just being fascinated by the story of, you know, somebody who goes away on an adventure. And, and I always determined that I wanted to go away on my own adventures when I, when I was old enough to do so. From the army, what, is, what was your thinking about then moving into exploration? How did that change come about? Well, the army gave me plenty of practical experience. You know, I joined the parachute regiment where I served all around the world. I, I was on operations in Afghanistan in 2008, but I also went on exercises as far afield as Belize in Central America, Malawi in Southern Africa. Wow, so it involved a lot of travel. A lot of travel, a lot of travel. And, and, and I really enjoyed that, that element. And, I, you know, to be honest, I, I would have spent the entire five years that I spent in the regular army traveling if it was down to me. But mm-hmm. it was mixed in with the, the more sort of mundane, you know, marching around and uh, going on courses and lots of paperwork. So when I, when I decided that I wanted to leave the army, I thought I wanted to sort of let my creative juices flow a little bit and, and wanted to take up writing and photography and, uh, and, and test myself in a dis- different way. But all underpinned by a desire to travel. So the first thing I did when I left the army was spend all my savings on buying a, a camera mm-hmm. and bought a one-way ticket to Mexico to go and learn photography. Completely self-taught. Um, and, of course, what happened on day three of arriving in Mexico was having my camera stolen. Oh. And it wasn't insured. <laughs> oh, so uh, no. it, was a, it was a lesson in life. But really, it, it was off the back of that trip, actually, that, that this all came about because... I I then volunteered for a charity in Africa, and and the charity wanted uh, some ambulances. So I gathered a few friends together. We raised some money, and I ended up driving uh, an ambulance from London down to Malawi in Southern wow. Africa. It was incredible. It was through twenty seven countries, ten thousand miles, uh, with a bunch of mates, and it was just the most epic road trip. You know, one could imagine through every kind of environment, all the way through Europe, through the Middle East, went through Syria, um, and then all through, you know, across the Sahara Desert, and then then all the way down through East Africa. And that kind of kicked off what you've been continuing to do now. Yeah, so that was 2010. Mm-hmm. I just remember, you know, I'd never been so happy. It was great. I'd, uh, you know, I was with friends doing a doing this amazing journey, and I thought, well, if I can find a way of of turning this into a, a lifestyle that could sustain itself, then then why not? And Ever since I was a kid, I'd always wanted to, you know, as I said before, you know, travel and explore the world. But to do that and share the journeys with with other people through writing, through photography, was my real passion. You know, funnily enough, volunteering for charity doesn't pay very well. In fact, it didn't pay at all. So I, I had to find a way of monetizing it. So I ended up setting up a uh, an expedition company. So I started leading right. expeditions, yeah. taking, paying clients, um, to far-flung places using my experiences in the army so my usp was was taking people to former conflict zones so we organized expeditions to afghanistan to iraq to sudan you know all the sort of holiday hotspots really <laughs> yeah um but but funnily enough it, it, it business was booming and actually people yeah. wanted to see the reality of what life is like beyond the usual media 
And the beautiful places that I am sure exist in every single one of those countries traveling through Arabia. um, We know it through the eyes of the media, through that war-torn lens. And I wondered which places that you touched upon on this trip where you felt like it's such a shame that more people can't see the beauty of this place. Well, the media is very lazy, and we, we and, and and so is the audience. I'm afraid, you know, mm-hmm. people do like to stereotype and pigeonhole certain countries as with, with a tourism with a, with a reputation, and it's very difficult to shake that off. And I see that as part of my job, and, and that's something yeah. I've really wanted to do over the last ten years. Is is you know not going to places with a sort of bucket list mentality, um, or going to places that, you know, I don't like the idea of dark tourism either. But mm-hmm. I think it is important to to go to places if they are genuinely safe or if if, if there's a way of accessing them. Show that because, you know, you see you hear places um, like Colombia, you know, you, you can go on holidays to Colombia, it's absolutely fine. But people yeah. think, oh, no, you know, there's still rebels in the jungle. It's, yeah. it's narco traffickers and all that. Well, that's done quite well. And I think in kind of um, improving its reputation as Colombia's, well. you know, getting there, but yeah. it's just taken a long time, hasn't yeah. it? You know, Chechnya, not so much. You know, Chechnya is perfectly safe. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to Chechnya if you can get a visa to get in, that is. But it's not, you know, Grozny is not some rubbled city, you know, that it was 15 years ago. It's, 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 you know, there's big skyscrapers there. There's an entirely new city that's been rebuilt. And the same goes for lots of places that, that I think it's very important to show people what the reality is uh, and challenge people's stereotypes, challenge their preconceptions. And and that's what I've tried to do with, with the latest journey through the Middle East is go to a region that's perhaps the most contested, the most controversial and uh, and probably got the worst reputation out of the lot. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you think about the Middle East, what do you think of? You think of terrorism, you think of you know, bombs going off, yeah. uh, conflict. And uh, even the most banal attitudes are usually little more than deserts and camels. And of those places that you visited, which country or city or place even, would you say sticks out in your mind as being the most spectacular? I can't choose one because they're all very different. And that's something else that I like to draw out of my travels, the diversity that you don't expect. Of you course, know. it's a whole region. Yeah. The, and, and only... It, it, you know, you can go to southern Yemen in the, in, after the Karif in the rains, and it's lush jungle. It's forests of frankincense. It's beautiful. Same in, in Oman, in, in, in southern Dofor mountains. It's, um, it's not what you'd expect. In Lebanon, you know, you, the, the snow-capped mountains, you can go skiing there. There's resorts. Um, not what most people think of. Damascus, you know, the city um, in, in Syria, which, which has received... You know, so much attention over the last seven years, all of it negative. But yeah. the reality is there are coffee shops, there are bars. You know, I went clubbing in, in Damascus. Really? And it's absolutely fine. So you know, life is continuing. Life continues, yeah. it really does. And, uh, and, and what's, what's interesting is you go there and you meet people, you're having a coffee and drinking a glass of wine in, in the old city of Damascus. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can hear the bombs going off three or four miles away in the suburbs where the fighting's happening. They don't bat an eyelid. They carry on with their lives and... And they, you know, there's this sense of, you know, enduring robustness. And and can you imagine that happening here? It's like sitting here as the the artillery's firing off in Chelsea. And uh, uh, but people just get on with their lives. And we I, often overlook. I had no that. idea, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's extraordinary. Chapter two. That's the first place that you fell in love with. What would that be? Probably South Africa. It was mm-hmm. the first place that I went traveling as uh, you know backpacking as an 18 year old yeah. on, on my very cliche gap year and uh, <laughs> it was great i went on my own you know i, I before university i 
off I went one-way tickets or one of those round-the-world tickets. And uh, I spent about five weeks travelling around South Africa, and it was the most terrifying, intimidating few... The first few couple of weeks was just like, what am I doing? I'm 18, and all the other travellers are 25, and, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's so Had far Had you been that removed. far from home before? Well, not, no, not really. Certainly yeah. not. That was my first time I'd been travelling on my own. It wasn't the country that was scary. It wasn't the political situation. It was, what do you do in a hostel when you're on your own? You know, you do, yeah. how do you in, initiate a conversation? And it, it's quite an intimidating thing, but... Um, but when I got into the the sort of culture of backpacking, it was brilliant because I then, you know, you can kind of replicate the experience in every hostel you stay in and you, you, you force yourself to talk to people and you grow as a person. And I think when you take those sorts of risks, and people are very scared about, you know, of risk, when you do that and you, you, you put yourself out there and you travel on your own, because I think there's something very important you know, it should be it should be man, you know, mandatory. Everyone should travel on their own. Don't go with friends. Go on your own because you learn so much about other people. You learn so much about other cultures. You learn so much about yourself that you just become a better, more well-rounded um, person. And I think and I think it really for me was was the formative part of of what my, where my travels began as a, as an adult. So for me, it was South Africa where I learned that. Um, and, Which part of South Africa? Well, I flew into Cape Town. Into Cape Town, yeah. And then I basically backpacked and hitchhiked my way all the way up the, the Garden Route and then up to Johannesburg and then from there went up to Zimbabwe. And you were so, hitchhiking? Yeah, I was just hitchhiking and it, wow. was, it was great. And, uh, you know, I, I barely paid for any accommodation or or, uh, or lift because people look at you and you know, what are you doing? You know, you're only 18. I said, I know. And, and they, they just invite you into their homes. They... They feed you. They feel sorry for you. You know, probably wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't get the same sense of sympathy as you know at my age now. But certainly at that that age in that period, you know, very fresh face. People, you know, I, I sort of came away from every place that I stayed with a bag full of food because people would feel a bit sorry for me. So, lovely hospitality <laughs> yeah. there. Chapter three is the trip where you learnt the most about yourself. So, I, so I'll talk about Gapier 2 now. Okay. Um, that was Gapier 1. So I went to university, studied history. Mm-hmm. And my speciality was, um, funnily enough, overland journeys. I actually studied wow. the Grand Tour and the Great Pilgrimages and the Silk Road. So I, that was my you know, particular interest. I'm one of the few people that's probably studied history and actually got to use it yeah, in later life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so when I graduated, I thought before I joined the army, because I'd, I'd always wanted to join the army, um, I thought I'm going to take, take another few months off, which ended up being another 12 months, um, to go and, and basically do my own great overland journey. So I thought, why not, you know, follow in the, in the footsteps of, of the people that had inspired me um, and, and do the big overland journey to India. So I decided in, in the summer of 2004 to hitchhike from Nottingham, where I studied, to India. And that's what I did. And at the age of 22, put my thumb up at, on the services at uh, on the A1 at Grantham and uh, went down to uh, to Calais and no way yeah, and carried on from there. That's amazing. I mean, I tend not to see that many hitchhikers these days. I mean, were you? Did you see other people? There hitchhiking? were. I mean, it's it's actually still very popular in 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 Europe, particularly yeah. in um, not so much in France. Actually, the big the only the only times I didn't get picked up were in France and uh, and Russia. <laughs> Right. But everywhere else was was brilliant. And did you um, have any kind of hairy experiences? Not, not nothing hitchhiking related. No, no, I was. I mean, no. Everyone was, went out of their way. I mean, people would say, "Where are you going?" And I, I'd sort of 
jokingly say India and they, they, they said <laughs> don't be ridiculous and, and so you have to kind of temper it so I'd say okay I'm going to the next city and yeah but that for them because it's, it was more you could it's a very difficult concept to grasp that someone's hitchhiking for five months to India yeah so if you say you're hitchhiking to, 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 to Munich or to Prague, they're like, wow, that's like hundreds of miles away. And, and, and they would divert and take you an hour out of their way to make sure that you got dropped off at the best junction. Wow. It was fantastic. But on that journey, you know, I went through, you know, again, only through Europe, through Russia, over the Caucasus Mountains, through Iran, through uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Amazing. And, and that was probably the journey that I learned the most because... At that age, again, at 22, I was putting myself into places that, you know, you probably wouldn't want necessarily think are very safe. But or maybe I f- your parents Certainly my parents like that, yeah. didn't think I was. But, um, but actually, again, you know, in the, in the places that I, one would think are dangerous, actually, I've probably got the best hospitality. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I was in Afghanistan during Ramadan. And, uh, and I was so incredibly well looked after in spite of of the you know the fact that it had only recently been um you know the taliban had only recently been defeated it was it was a fascinating trip wow you talk about the risk you know weighing up of risk on these trips or that people um focus too much on risk when you take take a journey like that and the future journeys and expeditions that you've been on um how do you weigh up what is going to be you know just fulfilling and what is going to be life threatening mm. well i take risk very seriously you know it's been my job for certainly since i was in the army when it comes to risk it's all about proportionality and i think when you when you go on a trip you know you got to assess what what's the most commonplace dangers and when I say this to people, people think, well, you know, you might get your, you might get shot by the, the Taliban or, or ISIS or you might get eaten by a crocodile or all these things, which could happen. Of course they could. Yeah. But they're very rare. You know, you've got to be very, very unlucky to get eaten by a crocodile. Yeah. Um, what you don't have, you know, what, what is far more commonplace, but also a bit more mundane and boring is being involved in a road traffic accident, mm-hmm. you know, being hit by a bus. You know, that can happen in London as much as it can in Karachi or in Delhi yeah. or anywhere else for that matter. So, but that's, that's the most, that's the biggest danger is, is being in a road traffic accident, being hit by a drunk driver, um, or, or getting some really boring disease like malaria, you know, that's far more likely or getting ill from drinking the water. So when it comes to risk, it's, it's those things that you should really worry about, not the, 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 the sort of getting kidnapped and all the rest of it, because that is, is, is probably not going to happen. It's very unlikely. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Uh, chapter four is your all-time favourite destination. What would that be? Um, I don't have one. <laughs> I genuinely don't because I think my own travel experiences, and I think most people would, would probably agree, are generally defined with by who you're with and the, the people that you're either travelling with or if you're travelling alone, then the people that you encounter along the way. And it's it's those experiences that, for me, define a place. The human The human element. And it's not, you know, if you ask me where's the most beautiful mountain, I can tell you where's the most sublime desert scenario, I could tell you. But I don't have a favourite place because, for me, the sense of place is really dictated by the experiences within that place. And I don't like to use our own constructed borders to define places. And I don't think most of the local people do either. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't have a favourite place. I have favourite experiences and encounters. Okay. So (laughs) tell me. me Yeah, yeah, go on then. (laughs) Um, Well, I've had so many, it's difficult to to pick and choose. I mean, you know, I could go with the cliched uh, meeting the Dalai Lama in India. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going (laughs) to ask you about that. Do you tell tell me what it was like? It was something that... um, are you a spiritual man, would you say? I wouldn't, uh, spiritual, probably, yes, I think, yes. I wouldn't say religious, but, um, you know, I, I, do, I do look for mysticism and spirituality in, in places that, that where I go. And um, for me, meeting, the, I guess, this spiritual leader who, uh, who, who is effectively for, for a significant portion of humanity, um, the living incarnation of, of an entire belief system, yeah, was was quite something. I can't. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was, was very down to earth, very movie. He had a real aura of of energy. I mean, the guy's eighty odd, and and just he didn't stop laughing and chuckling. He's got this real sense of warmth and humour. Was this pre or post Glastonbury appearance? This <laughs> this was when he just got back from Glastonbury. So maybe he's yeah, maybe still, he's still riding re- high off yeah, of that exactly. Um, but no, just just very welcoming and a very funny man. And uh, but but really for me, it's, it's just the meeting amazing people. Uh, you know, I was in Georgia um, on on the when I hitchhiked to India, I went via Georgia and uh, and I was I was basically just sleeping rough wherever I could. And wow. uh, one one afternoon or early evening i i sort of got out of a lift and uh i've you know, been on a ride of the car and in the middle of nowhere the next village was a couple of miles away so i thought i'm just going to sleep on the side of the road and under a bus shelter yeah and uh 
anyway, I did that, and about midnight, it was dark, I, I sort of woke up to the sound of voices. This, this man, who'd obviously been drinking, I could hear him coming out of the darkness towards me. I thought, oh dear, this is not going to end well. Anyway, he started shouting at me in Georgian. I didn't speak much Georgian, so he, we didn't really communicate. He then started shouting at me in Russian. I couldn't really communicate with that either. And eventually we settled on my very basic GCSE-level German. And uh, he, he instructed me to, to follow him, so I did. I went back to his house, and uh, he basically told me that I was staying there. I said, well, that's very kind of you. Um, but before he sort of, you know, gave me a, a bedroom, he insisted on we, we shared a bottle of homemade moonshine vodka. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, the following morning, I wanted to thank him to leave, but he wasn't anywhere to be found. So I tried to uh, tried to basically just leave via the front door, but he's, he had this enormous dog um, in the garden, which was barking at me and pretty savagely, so I <laughs> couldn't leave. So anyway, I went, went back to bed to nurse off my hangover, and uh, a few hours later, he came back. And just as I was explaining that I needed to leave, he turned up with another bottle of vodka and ins- <laughs> insisted that I drank that with him. So basically, I was stuck in his house for three days. <laughs> and on the final day, I said, I'd had enough of this. I, had to, I basically had to escape because I couldn't go through the garden, so I climbed down the drain pipe. Um, across the neighbour's roof and then onto the garden. So, so you didn't away. have to drink anymore. <laughs> so I didn't have to drink anymore. But that was 2004. And I'd always remembered that that name because his name, ironically, was Gotcha. And um, so in, in 2017, so 13 years later, I went back to make a documentary about the Caucasus Mountains. And it was on you know, on the TV. It was called Russia to Iran. Yeah. And I hitchhiked, you know, through the part of the same route that I'd done when I hitchhiked to India the first time around. And I got to Georgia and I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could find that same village where I'd slept in the bus stop? And I did. I found the bus stop was still there 13 years on. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could find Gotcha? So I was looking around and I found some old ladies and said, is there a guy called Gotcha living here? And they said, yeah, it's just up there on the left. And it all came flooding back to me. I said, yeah, this is the house. So I went and knocked on the door and door opened and there he was gotcha 13 years later no way. he looked me up and down and said ah englishman he disappeared in, into his kitchen came back with another bottle of vodka and said right time to drink <laughs> <laughs> and it's moments like that that really define the magic of travel for me chapter five is your hidden gem a place that people might not know about that you particularly would recommend or love i think lebanon actually it was a it was a really really i was only there very briefly on the end tail end of my most recent journey around the arabian peninsula um and i chose that because it's you know what it's on the shores of the mediterranean sea it's the kind of gateway to the middle east and so to finish there on, on the shores of, on basically on the boundaries of europe kind of brought everything full circle and it yeah. felt like a bit of a homecoming. It was really, really beautiful. It was, um, you know, the mountains, the food, um, and very, very developed, actually. You get to sort mm-hmm. of cities like Byblos, one of the, the ancient cities um, in the world, um, but you know, there's great cafe culture. And I'd love to go back, actually, and, and see more of it. And it's still got a bit of a bit of a reputation, you know, because of the political situation there, that people do tend to avoid it. But um, from certainly from my experiences... Um, from the limited time that I was there, you could absolutely go there for a long weekend and have a great time. Yeah. There are some new hotels that are opening up there as well. Mm. So I guess it shows hopefully that 
tourism is beginning again. Yeah. I think it was, was it? It was, it was you know, yeah. back, in, back in the sort of 60s and 70s. It was the sort of the Paris of the East, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and sadly that all, all fell apart. And in, what's the architecture like there? Well, obviously it did get, you know, Beirut did get fairly destroyed in, in, mm. in the war. But, but, you know, if you go out into, into places like, uh, you know, the Becca Valley and, and there's an, the ancient Roman ruins in, in Baalbek, for instance, are just magnificent steeped in history absolutely and where have you eaten best would you say because i imagine you've tasted all kinds of (laughs) good and bad yeah Yeah. and the worst too actually well i i'm a huge fan of curries so i i just love india really for for its food um and just the variety yeah that's for me that's my favorites but uh, southeast asia as well i was recently out in bali and, uh, you know, it, I just love that Southeast Asian food, Thai, Vietnamese. Yeah, I, I'm a big foodie, so anything like that. And have you had to eat some pretty hairy things as well? I literally hairy Literally things. hairy I, things. I, I got fed, uh, I think it was in Uganda, I got fed a bush rat, which oh, wow. is just the most awful um, stew. It was like these rats, which are about a foot long. A foot yeah, long. Yeah, massive. It's still covered. They literally just get them. Uh, singe them over the fire so you've still got these stubbly charred bodies that they then basically just chuck into a pot and oh my God. Uh, it's vile yeah oh my goodness have you had to eat any insects uh insects are fine yeah i've had i've had a you know crickets grasshoppers and uh all that sort of stuff they're, they're fine they're, they're, they're not crunchy. too bad no, no, no that's all right God, I'm not, I'm not a fan of brains. I had to. I was forced to have um, yeah goat's brains and eyeballs in the Middle East quite a lot. Chapter six is the place that you would never go back to. Oh, I'm gonna get banned by some tourism boards, aren't I now? <laughs> um, I, I am actually, sadly, um, I think banned from from a couple of countries. No way. Very why? sad. Well, I, the, the Russia to Iran uh, program that I made and the book that I wrote was I thought very complimentary about Iran because I had a wonderful time there. I've been there twice before mm-hmm. and I, I thought the people were remarkably hospitable some mm-hmm. of the most hospitable in the world and it's a beautiful country and yeah. I'd highly recommend if, if if you can get a visa and they'll let you in to try and travel to Iran because because it's a beautiful place um sadly I don't think the Iranian government saw that side of uh, of my my film and, and took um you know, took umbrage at the fact that I uh, highlighted, you know, the ob- very obvious political dissent in the country and the fact that um, not everyone's happy with, with the, the regime there and, uh, and said that I might not be welcome back, sadly. That's such a shame. Mm. Mm, that, that's interesting because on the one hand, you want to advocate tourism in a beautiful country, mm. but then at the same time, if you can't even speak openly about what's going on in an obvious way well you know my my journeys and and the the products you know the books and the the documentaries i've I've always been you know try to be as honest as i can and and tell tell it how it is and and more often than not it's going to countries that everyone thinks are bad in the you know the vaguest possible uh way and showing them actually there's a lot of good there Mm -hmm. and going to countries like sudan which has got a bit of a reputation so it's an amazing people there. I mean, what's happened in recently, the develops there, developments there demonstrate that the people don't want the dictatorship and, and are actually trying to overthrow it. So hopefully that will, something will come of that. Mm. Um, but, you know, if, if I get to a place where the government doesn't treat me very well or, or I get, uh, you know, I have a bad experience, I'll, I'll say that as well. And uh, but, but, you know, nine times out of ten, it's generally finding positives in, in what people perceive to be... Um, 
dangerous or difficult places. On the flip side, if you could parachute yourself mm. immediately uh, anywhere in the world right now, where would it be, do you think? Right now? Ooh. To be honest, I, there's, there's fewer nicer places in the Mediterranean in the, mm. in the summer, so I'd probably mm. go... Um, probably go to a beach in, in Greece, which is exactly what I'm doing next week. Actually, I'm going to Corfu, which will be lovely. Um, on, on just a normal holiday. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of just doing what I yeah, going to the places that are, that are still on the on 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 my list of places to visit. Um, I've still yet to go to New Zealand. I really want to go there. I really want to go to Western Canada. I've not been to Vancouver Island, but Johanna is is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the world's a big place. There's there's there's, there's you know, dozens of countries that I that I'd still love to go to. As a as a former army man, um, are your holidays quite regimented? Uh, no, I, I don't do any planning. I generally turn up, usually without any accommodation. Book something on on you know on a website ten minutes before, see what's available, and and that's what I love because my when I do an expedition, often there's a lot of planning that goes into it. So when I go on holiday, I usually quite it's nice to just go and relax and leave it to the last minute. And sometimes I'll get there and say, okay, I'm going to book a, a villa for a couple of nights, uh, sometimes whatever, you know, see what's available. Mm-hmm. Finally, then we're on to chapter eight, and that is what's at the top of your wish list. New Zealand, Canada, Papua New Guinea. I really want to go to Papua New Guinea. I've not, I've not really seen much of South America as well. I'd love to do a big motorbiking journey through South America. Yeah, I've, I've, I've become a bit of a biker recently, so I want to I want to do a big trip. Um, and I think, yeah, South America, Brazil, Argentina, Chile and Patagonia would be great. The documentary after this one, then? Possibly. Potentially. Let's see. Let's Watch see. this space. Leveson Wood, those were your travel diaries. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. That was Leveson Wood. Wow, his life really is one incredible adventure. If you'd like to hear more about his recent expedition, you can pick up a copy of his book, Arabia, A Journey Through the Heart of the Middle East. And he's also written a gorgeous children's book called Incredible Journeys, and that's out now too. As ever, if you've enjoyed this episode, your support with a review or a rating is so appreciated and it helps other people discover the podcast. And come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at 
airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.